Blog Talk Radio. Fans, and you know what that means. 
It's Manny time! The street lights are shining in Coral Gables, and the wild light is blinding bright. The defensive coaching staff has a new look with defensive backs coach Travaris Robinson now in the fold, a recruiting-minded linebacker coach in place in Ishmael Aristide, Jess Simpson back to coach the defensive lineman, and an experienced veteran coordinator in Bob Shoup to serve as an analyst. He'll be helping Manny Diaz in game planning and other tasks as the head coach resumes play calling duties on that side of the ball. So those moves alone are a full off season, but let's continue. The talent has been upgraded also with the addition of cornerback Tyreek Stevenson from Georgia, a guy that was probably going to be the Bulldogs top returning corner this year. And Tennessee defensive end DeAndre Johnson, who's probably more of a depth filler, but a guy that might help ease the loss of Jalen Phillips and uh, Quincy Roche. And even the offense received an injection of explosiveness with the transfer of Oklahoma receiver Charleston Rambo. Diaz hopes that these moves will make a significant difference as he begins his third season as a head coach in 2021. So as the Foo Fighters, with an assist from our board member Can-Am, who submitted that song for tonight's show, as they so eloquently put it in our opening song, it's times like these you learn to live again. The Miami Hurricanes are hoping that these moves they're making allow them to live a little bit better in 2021. They hope that a new day is rising, a brand new sky. So we're going to talk about all of that and more tonight as we begin an off-season edition of Kane Sport Live. Hello again, everybody. I'm Gary Furman, the publisher of Canesport.com, and we welcome you once again to Kane Sport Live. As always, this is your show. It'll be driven by your participation. The call-in number is 563-999-3550. That's 563-999-3550. Plenty of room for everybody to call in and participate. You know the drill by now. If you want to come on the show, you hit the number one on your keypad. That puts you in the queue. Let's us know you want to come on. We bring you on the show in the order that you land in the queue. We once again ask the subscribers at canesport.com to post the topics and questions that they would like to hear discussed on tonight's show, and we will address those tonight during the course of the evening. All right, so it's been a little while since we gathered on Canesport Live. And many of you have been talking about this particular moment on the message boards. Um, it was a special moment from one of our illustrious regular callers here on Kane Sport Live, who goes by the name of Greg. Very often is the first caller of the night, but uh, a guy that is not afraid to lay his opinions out on the table for us each and every week during each and every football season. And on our last show, let me refresh your memory to what Greg had to say. Okay. We played 11 games this year. Five times we gave up 34 or more points. Okay? Don't tell me nothing needs to be done, okay? And I'm telling you right now, big things are happening as we speak. There's going to be big changes made. I'm guaranteeing it. Okay. okay. I know people. All right. Just remember I said that. 
I don't disagree with you. I think there will be changes made. I think there will be changes made. He's a prophet. Could he have called it any better? So we're going to um, – Greg has promised he's, – he's out to dinner right now, but he's promised that he will be joining us uh, relatively soon to um, take his appropriate bows for guaranteeing the slew of changes that we've witnessed here over the last um, month or so that many Diaz is hoping will reinvigorate everybody who – Went into the off season once again disappointed at the way the season ended, no doubt about it. You know, the loss to North Carolina, not being able to beat Oklahoma State in the bowl game. I, you know, it, it's just it's been tough for us to to watch the way these last three seasons really have ended. Um, but Manny does a great job, a, a lot better than a lot of head coaches out there in identifying his faults, owning them. And then trying to do something about it. And, you know, beginning in September, we'll start to see if these latest changes can make the impact that the changes he made last year made, because they absolutely did. I mean, none of, none of us are happy with the way the season ended, but I don't think anybody argues that the football product that we had in this 2020 football season was better than what we saw the year before in year one of, of Manny Diaz as a head coach. I mean, there's no, there was, there, there really was no comparison. And yeah, a lot of it was, you know, get a lot, De'Ara King gets an enormous amount of credit for that. There's no doubt that he saved a couple games in the middle of the year. Um, NC state is one that definitely comes to mind that probably would have been losses without him. But you know, that's part of the deal you go out, you recruit a great transfer. He makes a difference and allows you to have a respectable season. Uh, that's part of the deal. So, um, you know, yeah, so Greg will be on a little bit later to uh, get his just due from everybody uh, for his great predictions that came to fruition. But right now, let's go out to your phone calls. The number is uh, 563-999-3550, 563-999-3550. Again, you hit the number one on your keypad if you'd like to come on the show. Let's see who we got here first. Uh, don't don't recognize the number, so I'm just going to simply say we're going out to the 786. You're live on Kane Sport Live. How are you doing this evening? Gary, how are you, my friend? Oh, doing great. What's up, everything? I didn't recognize your number this time. You must, you're, you're calling from a new one. Yeah. Yeah, I've been uh, switching off and on. <laughs> Tough times. Hey, uh, Shout out to Greg. No, he called it, man. He said major changes were happening, and you talk about some major changes. Yeah. Uh, but some of those changes came as a result of it was time to make a change. I mean, Mike Rump, as much as we love him as a teacher, has been nothing but a disappointment, and I made that very clear after his first uh, summer being with us, first signing season with us, made it through the following year, uh, how how horrible he was as a recruiter. And that held this program back, and it took way too many years for him to make that change. But ultimately, he went ahead and figured it out. And the only reason why Mike's still with the program is because he's got a year left on his contract, and he's been stifled away, shuffled away somewhere where he can't cause any problems, even if it is in the recruiting office, which basically he's just, you know, he's just there. Uh, so let's, let's make that clear. The second change... When you look at uh, our defensive coordinator, who's now at LSU, um, I, I, 
that was going to happen based on Manny taking over the defense, and that just reflects on Manny making a poor decision and a poor hire when he first uh, became the head coach and hiring Blake. I mean, that was more than obvious. Fourth and 17 in North Carolina the first year, told me everything I needed to know about that guy. And, yeah, he's a good Louisiana guy, can recruit, is a good teacher, all those things. You know, there, you know, coaches like that are a dime a dozen, and he's making some decent money at LSU. Not, not nearly what he was making over here, for what I've heard, uh, especially in the front end. But you know, that problem took care of itself. And then Ephraim Bonda figuring out things for himself that he needed to go. So some of these changes happened a result that they were so obvious they needed to happen. Some of these changes happened as a result of Manny making other decisions. But yeah, major changes came about. However. To me, a major change, Gary, would have been him hiring a guy like Kevin Steele to run the defense and let Kevin bring in his people. That would have been my idea of major change uh, because his defense, I mean, the blueprint to beat it is out there. There's nothing new here. So people will continue to attack us, especially those that have decent athletes and have a decent offensive line. We're still going to get those same things. That's not going to change whether he's calling it, whether – Someone else is calling it. So I thought we needed an infusion of, of something different. You know, there's a couple of constants here that we always look, we look at with, with our program. Manny always, always owns the offseason. He, he made mention of that earlier, Gary. He always owns the offseason, right? Uh, all the changes he made, all the hires he made, and then the transfer portal kids, which I think is our new constant. We will depend on the transfer porter, portal, rather, I think going forward, there's no way that we can survive bringing in 25 kids in every year, trying to develop them. We don't have the time. We don't have the resources to get those elite kids. And what you have is a cluster or a grouping of kids. They're all pretty similar, and they're all missing one component. Either a guy is great mentally, but he's so-so athletically, or a guy like a linebacker with Corey Flagg, the kid from St. Thomas Aquinas, who's a great athlete, Avery Huff. But, you know, he can't figure things out. So we're stuck in that rut, and the transfer portal allows us to go ahead and get players that can come in right away, compete, contribute, and go on to the next stage of, of their careers. So you're looking at us every year starting two, now three. Eventually, Gary, with the 25 spots the NC2A allocates to us every year, you're going to look at us only using 20 for high school kids and five for transfer portal kids. I mean, that's where we're at as a program. So that's not changing anytime soon. So the two constants, yeah, they've been great. The change, you know, he always owns the off season and the portal has been good for us. And look at the, the three players that were brought in. I think definitely think two are very impactful and one will be like you said, more than a rotation type of kid who, Who's back home, but I think so far we've done he's done pretty well since the loss at, at to Oklahoma State. Yeah, no doubt. You know, but but you know, obviously we do a lot of analysis at Kane Sport and we've been looking really hard at the roster and analyzing different things in, in the last few weeks. And I still when I look at this team that's coming up next season, I still see a, a, a void of impact players. I, I, you know, I, I, I just do. I mean, I, I think Rambo has a chance to make an impact, uh, but he really wasn't able to at Oklahoma this year. And that's why he's here. 
you know, that's why he, he went into the portal, but, you know, we did, we broke down the roster this past week, everything. And, and, you know, just, let's just take a look at, at real quick at this, you know, so we made the Eric King number one, and I don't think there's any question about that. Um, we went to Mike Harley at number two. Uh, and, you know, Mike Harley had a bust out year this year, but you're talking about a kid that's, uh, you know, has evolved and made himself into a good college football player, but he's not going to be a very high NFL draft pick. Um, and we're ranking him the he's second best player on this team. Huh? Am I wrong? He's not going to get drafted here. Okay, well, I didn't no, want to say that. Correct. I didn't want to say that. He's going to be on the, you know, I'm, I'm trying I to be nice you. here. Yeah, he's going to be right hey, on the way, line. But your number one kid, your number one kid, it's health permitting, by the way. Health <laughs> permitting. But, but, but the medical people I talk to seem to suggest that the way that they're aggressive in the rehab of ACLs these days, that a, a, a six-month timeline to be back healthy again is not unreasonable or unrealistic uh so you know maybe what they are hoping for and that he'll be ready to go in august you know is founded on re- reality but but here's the thing De'Ara king's not a high nfl draft pick either i mean he's a good college quarterback he'll be a heisman trophy candidate next year if he's back 100 percent. but that doesn't mean he's going to be chosen in the top three rounds of the nfl draft and Mike Harley's not either. So now that's one and number two. Those are the two guys that we are identifying from an objective point of view as the two best players on the team going forward next year. Okay, then for number three, we settled on Tyreek Stevenson on the hope that he is going to be the best defensive back on the field next year. And I think there's a great chance of that. Um, You know, where he'll project down the road in the NFL, I don't think we know yet. Then at number four, we went to the punter, <laughs> who's you know clearly one of the best punters in the country, if not the best. Now we've got him ranked as number four on the team. And then number five, mm-hmm. we made a guy that we haven't seen here for one play yet, and that's Rambo, the wide receiver, who left Oklahoma because he had a, a, a ho-hum, you know, relatively nondescript 312-yard season in, an, in Lincoln Riley's high-octane passing offense at Oklahoma, and he decided to come try out Rhett Lashley's offense instead for his last year of college football. So we had him number five. All right, and we could, you could go on from there, but here's my point. Where's the impact talent? Where, where are the difference-making guys? And – you know, so they have to go into the transfer portal because they're not they have not been recruiting well enough for many, many years here. And that's where I think Manny finally waved the white flag and conceded that, you know, because he's been a part of that. He's had a say in every defensive player that has come into this program since 2016. And, you know, I, I think he's you know, he finally is is realizing we are not recruiting well enough here at the University of Miami, and they haven't been. And he brought in coaches that maybe can help him change that, and we'll see. And and, and just to continue that train of thought, Gary, when you look at, uh, I think it was your next to last show. No, it was the show before signing signing day in December. I mentioned to you 
uh, through direct message that I almost was hoping that the two kids from Chaminade uh, would end up going with uh, Shiano to Rutgers to open up two more spots because there are two kids that will not provide an impact for another a year, possibly two. Uh, when you look at their skill sets, their readiness, their athletic impact, it, it's just not there. And then you look at kids that were out in the market that did have an interest. I know Big Cat over at Auburn, he had a great interest coming here. Uh, uh, I'm on, uh, um, uh, Anthony Richards, uh, Anthony um, uh, Richards' brother was had an interest coming here from Auburn, the running back. Uh, we also had another kid that was uh, definitely interested, the the the, uh, the linebacker from USC and the linebacker from even from Tennessee had some type of connection with, with Justice. So you look at people that were out there, and there was a good corner from West Virginia that was out there. Had we not taken so many high school kids, there would have been more potential impact players, and they would have fallen in line with your rankings that you just provided. They would have been in the top ten for sure of that group because those are kids that are proven. They're, they're different athletically, and they're kids that they are going to play at the next level. We don't know who those kids are or if they're even on our roster right now. And I understand that people are going to point out, well, you look at the two kids, the five-star kids, you know, stars don't mean crap for us. Five-star kids, look at our history of five-star kids. They don't pan out well. So for me, it's like, well, hopefully they'll pan out. But right now, we don't know, is James Williams going to play in the secondary? Is he going to be a linebacker? Will Leonard Taylor play? Get reps in? And will you be in the rotation? You've got even though we lost a set, but you've got a bunch of kids set in the defensive tackle room with these kids coming back. So we just can't get out of our own way recruiting-wise, so we're hoping, as you're mentioning, that all these great assistants that were hired are able to find these impactful players. And the ones that we know that are impactful that are home, hopefully the early little juniors of the world will stay. And that's where we're at right now, Gary. Mm-hmm. Well, when um, Matt Chadell comes on the show in a little bit, I, we're going to talk a little bit about the um, the Rivals 100 and 250 that came out this week and some of these local kids. But, you know, one of them you just mentioned. And, you know, the, the thing that is interesting about this next recruiting cycle is that n- none of these kids right now, can you really pencil in and say he's definitely going to be a Miami Hurricane? You know, it, it's like we do forecasts, and, and, like, I would love to forecast a bunch of these guys to Miami in this cycle, but we can't do that yet because right now um, there's not one of them. You know, I, I personally got to think that Earl Little maybe is the closest, um, but, you know, there's also been a lot of LSU talk with him, and, you know, Alabama and Florida are, are recruiting him very hard, and those battles have not – gone Miami's way very often through the years so uh you know it's it's hard to project that but uh it's going to be an interesting recruiting year this year because there are as always some good players but I think you're going to see the 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 big boys of college football getting back in the game a little bit they were they were caught off guard last year and, and blindsided a little bit by the COVID uh situation and the fact that nobody could take visits and coaches couldn't take trips and things like that and it really uh worked to miami's favor quite a bit in recruiting but they're going to have much tougher battles this year and i think manny knows that and i think that's why he went out and tried to get some recruiters in his staff and and do things strategically to allow him um 
to hire a guy like Ishmael Aristide, who's uh, a young, I'll call him a coach now, but he hasn't been a field coach yet. Uh, he, he was an analyst at Texas A&M, but as an analyst at Texas A&M, he developed a reputation as one of the best recruiters in that program. And, and uh, the people that I've spoken to out there in College Station tell me that he is a beast when it comes to uh, the effort that he puts in and, and the impact he makes on recruiting. And um, that, was a, that was a good pickup for Manny because he was able to sacrifice the linebacker coaching a little bit because he can do a lot of that himself. And so can Bob Shoup. So he's got guys on the staff that he's built that can maybe make up for a little of that. Uh, you know, he can turn the DeMarcus Van Dyke loose in recruiting um, because he's got T-Rob working alongside him. And he's built the staff to put a much greater emphasis on recruiting. And I think it's a good move. I think, I think he's giving himself a chance to, to survive for a while as a head coach where things were not looking really good for him. I'd say the one hire that can really provide you with enough of an impact in the recruiting front, but most importantly, he's a guy that, you know, I was very critical when he first joined our staff that he was just a gopher in the NFL, which I can name a hundred people like that, that were just gophers. But what he came and did in one year with our guys was insane. Um, And for him to have been here that one year, signed three of these three defensive uh, linemen and now he's back and he's gonna have a head, have a chance to coach him i'm just really looking forward to the impact he can have with those guys and that it's not to, t- to take a knock on coach shroud who's a tremendous coach in his own right but i think i'm i'm gonna see more of an impact with 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 what he's gonna do early on in spring uh when he's able to work with these guys you look at the town at the defensive tackle room that we've got enough there, but my concern is that pass rush, and I'm hoping he's able to get a kid or two that is really young, like the kid from Columbus or the kid from Shamanat Cam, and and get some more out of him because you can tell that he he is just a masterful teacher, but at the same token, he's very demanding, and guys like playing for him. So I think the buy-in is going to be in really good. So we need to have somebody. Uh, step up at the defensive line, not just in the interior part, but on our edge to be able to put the pass rush on. And I, I tell you, that's one hire that I'm, I'm really hoping. And, and not only that, then he can go to Georgia and get you a couple of really good players, like he has done already for us with just one year of workforce. But, you know, Gary, recruiting-wise, uh, you, you mentioned the top couple of kids in South Florida. Matt's going to be on here in a minute. But I got to tell you, the longer the NC2A puts off, and keeps things dead, the better it is for Miami. And people mm-hmm. are very upset with it. a lot of college coaches are very upset. A lot of local high school coaches are upset. Seven on seven coaches are upset. But guess what? Selfishly, this plays in our favor. So I'm hoping it gets extended all the way through the summer. I, I don't think it will, but that's one advantage that we would have to be able to go ahead and have the predominant contact, having kids that can just jump in their car and go to the campus, even though they can't meet with us, like they, they could still be on campus as opposed to, you know, Julian Armella driving 15 hours to go to Tuscaloosa, stop in Baton Rouge, and then stop in Oxford. So it's going to be a lot, it's going to be a lot uh, of decisions that are going to be made that are going to be impactful to Miami directly. We're going to see those returns hopefully really soon. Gary, thanks so much for your time. Enjoy the show. 
And, again, shout-out to Greg. Great job uh, forecasting what happened. All right, everything. Thanks for being part of it, as always. All right, 563-999-3550, 563-999-3550. You hit the one on your keypad if you want to come on the show. Uh, let's go now to the 941. You're live on Kane Sport Live. Hello, hello, Gary, Gary. Hey, what's up, Mikester? How you been, man? Hey, been good, been good. How you been, bud? Doing good, doing good. No complaints. No what you complaints, got? Uh, well, I was listening to the last caller there, everything, and there's one piece that I want to kind of throw in the mix here, and I think this is really important. Talent evaluation. Don't you agree with that? We need to 100%. do a little bit better of a job of, of talent evaluation. Your thoughts? I'm with you 100% on that. I, I think that's that's been a, a huge deficiency in this program. And, you know, some people found it controversial. Some people liked it more than others. But I made a big push a year ago that they go out and get Alonzo Highsmith to come in here and build an NFL scouting department because – you know, to my eye, yeah. and I think the data supports it. You know, certainly supports what I've been saying for years is, is that the evaluation of players and the recruitment of players has been extremely deficient at the University of Miami, going back yeah, well over a decade. Exactly. And right, right. Until they straighten that out, Mikester, they're, they can't straighten anything else out because you can hire great coaches. And, yeah, they'll take average players and make them a little bit better than average. You know, the Wake Forest of the world proven that. But they're still the Wake yeah. Forests of the world because they still don't have the game-changing players. Like, they'll, they'll pull an upset here or there, but they can't win enough games to, to, to be a, a serious player in college football. And if Miami wants to be Miami again, it's going to start with the evaluation of recruits. Exactly. I mean, you look at – Look at those two five-star recruits. You know, you had Mark Pope, okay? Total flop. Lorenzo Lingard. I heard he hasn't done anything in Florida at all, Gary. So mm-hmm. that's my point. You know, you can recruit you can recruit all the five-stars that you want, but if they don't fit your program, if they don't fit what you're doing, if they don't, uh, how do I say it, you know, pan out, you know, why bother with it? You know, now that's one of the things I'm good with, with music, you know, with my band was evaluating the talent, the musical talent that we have. And now our band is a kick-ass band. Just look us up. Blue Wave Rockers on uh, Facebook. <laughs> if you guys in Kane Sport Live uh, get a chance, look us up. Hit that like on Facebook. Just a little advertising to squeeze in. But <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, you know, I, I mean, I think we're heading in the right direction. But we need to do more on talent evaluation. And I'm hoping that uh, this guy, uh, Ishmael A., that, that new coach there, uh-huh. do you think he, in, in your opinion, do you think he's a, a, a better talent evaluator or is he a better recruiter? Your thoughts? No, he, I, he's a recruiter. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and try, to, uh, try to convince myself that he's changing the game in terms of evaluation. Um, he is a personable a dynamic personality young guy that has a knack for people and, and building relationships. And, you know, that's the contribution that he can make to the program is, is, is as a recruiter. And, He's you know, and that's right. 
he he was from I think he grew up in South Florida and he went to oh, high really? school in or- in Orlando and he went to college at Purdue and he's had a couple coaching jobs there. I think he was at Ole Miss for a little bit. And then he ended up at Texas A&M under Jimbo, and they really liked him there. I, I heard some members of the staff were upset that Jimbo let him go, that Jimbo didn't find a way to keep him um, there. But, you know, Miami, his dad's a, a, a principal at uh, here in South Florida, and, you know, he's got the family ties and the connections, and this is a chance for him to come back home and be with family and, and, and make an impact at the University of Miami. So I think that's what interested him in the job. Um, but is he a talent evaluator, Meister? Uh, I'm not ready to say that for sure. Uh, will he make right. an impact in recruiting? I think he's got a great chance to, yes. Well, that's that's good. That, I, you know, I guess that's good. Um, what about an update on Derek King? How's he doing? Any uh, – any, uh, I think he's in month, month. He's in month two of a six-month rehab. So, you know, he's probably at this point. He's he's you know he's he's in the he's probably in, in the in the in the weight room a lot. You know, doing lightweight work and sure. reestablishing range of motion in the knee and and building it back up. You know, keeping the rest right. of his body ready to go. And you know, once he gets to like about probably about month five is when I would think they really start to push it. And see, you know where he is, and 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 how fast they can get him back to 100. percent Oh, okay, cool. Uh, do you think that uh, they're going to take any more transfers, and what positions? Well, if they or do, they, do it, they can't do it till the summertime. Uh, so I don't know if that'll make sense at that point. But you know, there's a lot of kids out there that are going in the transfer portal, and not everybody's going to find a home. So I don't know uh, how it's all going to play out. Uh, I, I think the answer to your question would probably be it'll depend on who's available and, and whether they are available at that, at that point in time um, in the summertime. Uh, if I had to make a bet right now, I would say maybe one, you know, but probably not not more than that. So, you know, we'll see. You think one on defensive end? Because we got one for defensive end, you know. To, to I play. personally think that I think they need a linebacker bad, but that's my opinion. Yeah, you know? I I agree with you, Gary. They need a linebacker. They need a linebacker too. I mean, my yeah. gosh, we're really seeing a linebacker, you know. <laughs> so I oh, think I think you're just relying on guys. A lot of guys that have not done it yet, you know. So if, if you're playing playing roulette there. Oh, okay. Speaking of the band, what was the name of that song that you played at the beginning of the show there from Foo Fighters? Um, what's it? What, what it's uh, Times Like These, I think it's called. Times Like These. Okay. Yeah, the Foo Fighters. All right. You like There's, it, huh? Yeah, I'm thinking about having having my band play that. Times Like These. Okay. Well, send I'm us a send us a, if you guys figure it out, send us a track. We 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 we'd love to hear how your band's rendition of that song. Oh yeah, well you can hear our band on Facebook. Just go to Facebook and type in Blue Wave Rockers. But I, but I, I want to hear your guys' thing. cover of the Foo Fighters. I yeah you know. Oh well, well we we do Collective Soul. We have Gel on Collective for Collective Soul. If you want to hear that one, <laughs> you know that's what the offensive line needs to do. They need the Gel, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
anyway, yeah, I, I want to also uh, bring a shout-out to uh, Greg, too, who predicted that, yeah, there's going to be changes. I knew there was going to be changes. I knew, I was like, oh, my God, you know, against North Carolina. That was just totally ridiculous, dude. I mean, come on. Yeah, Manny's going to make some changes in the offseason, and I give him credit. He's trying. You know, he's trying to make this work, Gary. Yeah, just I agree. Like I did with, just like I did with the band, he's trying to do the same thing with with this program here. And I'm telling you, I, I, I hope he can do it. You know, I really do. <laughs> yeah, well, you you know, you heard in, in uh, on the clip there, I mean, I, I, I agreed with Greg. I said, yeah, I think there's going to be changes too. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that they would become as wholesale as they became. And uh, – you know, and the biggest reason for that was the contracts. Like, there was no way that the Miami was buying out Blake Baker and Ephraim Bonda. Right. I mean, no, no chance. But um, you know, Bonda, I think, made a good decision for himself. He, you know, he he decided that it was time to split from Manny and go out and become his own guy. And yeah. and you know, and Blake Baker, when when he saw the changes that Manny was making you know, just made this decision also, you know, maybe I'm better off moving on too. And he liked the idea of going to LSU, Louisiana's home for him and his wife. And so that move made sense, but there was no way to predict all that happening back in December. I mean, it was like, wow, it was just a flurry of activity and it's going to oh, be interesting yeah. to see how it works out. Well, you know, I, I kind of sensed a little bit of uh, what you call uh burnout, you know, so maybe they needed to make yeah. some changes. You might you be know, right on I, that. You know, Banda in yeah. particular, like exactly. was, he was doing the heavy lifting in in recruiting with a lot of in a lot of these situations for several years. Right. So in some cases, yeah. more successfully than others. Um, but I could see where it, it, it was probably starting to get a little tiresome and old for him. Right. Right. Exactly, exactly. All right, Gary. Well, I guess I'm going to let you go for now and uh, get some other callers on the show. Uh, when's your next show? When, when's your next show? Probably not. Uh, we'll months, probably do right? something in, the, in uh, I would say, um, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll do a show sometime, maybe a couple weeks into spring practice or something. We have something to talk about. Okay, cool. Well, thanks, Gary. All right, Take Mike. Take care and be safe. Thanks for being part of the show as always. All right, 563-999-3550, 563-999-3550. Hit the one on your keypad if you want to come on the show. Now I'm going to pop over to our resident managing editor at canesport.com, Mr. Max Shodell, um, who's been a busy guy lately, uh, doing a lot of different stuff. And uh, one of those things, Matt, uh, welcome back, obviously, to Canesport Live, was a breakdown of the new Rivals 250. And we were just talking a few minutes ago about recruiting and how different this year's recruiting class looks like it might end up being than the last one where it was made up almost entirely of kids from South Florida and Dade, and Dade County. And uh, so let's start with that. You know, first, your thoughts on what you're seeing so far in this recruiting cycle of recruiting in a Miami spreading its wings, so to speak, and, and getting outside of South Florida and, and, and spreading those tentacles up the state and around the, con the country, and also the likelihood 
that this class will not be made up almost uh, primarily of South Florida kids. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think they, that it will be, but it shouldn't be, you know, when Miami's at its best recruiting. So, um, so hopefully that's the case. I mean, in the, in the breakdown we did today, there's 26 targets on the new Rivals 250 that Miami has offered that have reciprocal interest. And, you know, the majority of those kids are from Florida, for sure. Um, but there are some out-of-state kids. But, you know, what I, what I really like, and I don't know if it's because of COVID or not, um, you know, usually, like, around this time, Miami already has five to ten commitments, and usually they're not five stars, you know? <laughs> like, the top kids tend to not commit early. Um, and if there's one or two of them that wind up doing that, they wind up backing off of it just because that's sort of the nature of the beast, you know? I mean, when everyone comes at you, like, that's sort of you have to go through the process, you know? And I think that Manny Diaz is finally taking his time and not pressuring kids to commit. Like you saw so many times in the past that Miami would almost pressure a kid into committing. And then that kid would either wind up flipping later on or, oh, geez, we got 20 commits already by, you know, by July with six months until signing day. And, uh, you know, we could just sit back and maybe try to get a few more kids instead of, you know, geez, we only have eight commits. And we better bust our asses and try to get four and five stars in the class, which is what I think they should do, you know, because the majority of the top kids aren't deciding until, you know, July, August, September, October, November, December. And, you know, I just don't, I, I don't like it in the past when Miami's filled up all these spots so early with three stars and marginal kids, even if they're four stars, as you and I both know, a lot of those kids maybe aren't that great. Um, so it's nice to see them not filling up early, not just reaching to take two stars or three stars or kids with not a ton of offers. Um, just to get the commitment list sort of looking a little more full at this point. And I, I do like that, you know, I mean, um, they're ranked 36 right now. That's okay. You know, in the past time, he's been in the top 10 in February, March, April, because just because they have 10 or 15 commits, you know, you don't need that. That's not momentum. You know, momentum's not taken as many kids as you can early. It's taken the best kids you can period whenever that happens. So they have two commits now and uh, hopefully some of these two defensive hires will pay off. And they can really wind up with a with a really solid class. And if they do that, I mean, I think they've already got a couple of really good classes on board now. And this class is, like, super important because you get three good classes in a row and develop them. I mean, that's, that's the formula for success. So I love what they're doing in recruiting right now. Well, you know, the – the, the thing is, what, what they've been doing in the past has not been working. If, 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 if we're honest about it, if they're honest about it, it has not been working. You know, f- whether it's filling up on too many guys that are average players early, not working hard enough on other guys outside the area, not evaluating talent well enough or having true talent evaluators in the building that know what the heck they're doing. Um, you know, whatever it is and whatever the reason, and you could come up with a whole lineup of them probably, it has not been working. So I think, you know, we were just talking about it a few minutes ago. Like I think Manny, to his credit, admitted that to himself. You know, what we have been doing, I've been here since 2016. We just got our butts just blown out of the stadium by North Carolina. We couldn't beat an average Oklahoma State team on a neutral field in the bowl game. We're 1-11 in our last 12 bowl games. On and on and on and on and on. I, I think, to, to his credit, he admitted that what we are doing is not good enough. And he went out. And he got himself some, some, some new faces on the defensive side of the ball that are recruiters. Um, 
because, you know, T-Rob, I know that he was a co-defensive coordinator at South Carolina and all that. He's a recruiter first. I, I hope he's not listening tonight because I don't want him to be mad at me already. Um, but, you know, he, he's a good defensive backs coach, no question about it. Uh, but he's known for recruiting. He, he's not known for the on-field coaching. T-Rob he, he, has a national reputation as a recruiter. And, you know, that was a that was a good get for, for Manny Diaz. And and, uh, you know, I, I think that moving to Marcus Van Dyke to an on-field role that allows him to try to get more involved in recruiting. I think that was a positive move and and bringing Ishmael Aristide in and having the luxury because of the other moves you've made with Bob Shoup and then yourself uh, capable of coaching linebackers that you've got enough guys that can coach the linebackers on the field um you need somebody that can go out and recruit and he used that staff spot to bring in a guy that without question is a recruiter first and we haven't seen that very often here at miami and i personally thought it was a great move your thoughts on that yeah i mean i I like all the hires he's made i mean i think he's doing it the right way you know he's not just hiring his friends or friends of friends he's trying to find the best people for the program, um, you know, like, like if this approach doesn't work, I mean, Manny's trying to do everything that he can and he's really listening to even what fans are saying, you know, he's very uh, social media savvy. Like if this doesn't work, I just don't know what's going to work next. Like <laughs> if like in two or three years, this is just like not panning out. Like, I don't know what else they do. I mean, they tried, I think all different approaches with the coaching staff and it would just be a travesty if it just turns out that, you know, South Florida kids don't want to stay home for whatever reason anymore because that's really what, you know, it comes down to. If the South Florida kids stay home and recognize that Manny's doing this the right way and he's got the coaching staff in place and these guys have great relationships with young coaches, they bond with the young kids, um, and, they're, and they're offering 2025 kids, 2024 kids, 2023 kids, like they're doing it all, you know. Um, I'm assuming they're going to stay in all these kids and contact them as allowed by NCAA rules and make sure that these kids, you know, know they're interested and build a relationship moving forward with all these kids. But like, if you do that, like what else can you do? I mean, yeah, like, I agree. Fans can complain all they want about, Oh my God, they're losing games, losing games, losing games. But recruiting wise, like that's all you can do. And bringing in the coaches and the analysts, like that's all you can do. I mean, they're bringing in the right people, doing it the right way. And if they don't win with this, I just, I, I wouldn't even be able to speculate on, you know, oh, this is what we need to fix next. Like, this is it. Like, like Manny's basically taking all the ideas we've ever written about, and he's trying to do it. So, like, you know. I agree. (laughs) I I totally agree with you. And, you know, look, I mean, when he got the job, the odds were stacked against him from minute one as a first-time head coach that didn't really have a whole lot of pedigree. I mean, very few guys like this succeed in – in, co- in coaching in college football in their first jobs and things like that. So the odds have been stacked against Manny from, from the minute he got the job. And it's not the least bit surprising that we're now going into year three and Manny Diaz as a head coach is still a question mark. I, I think if you're honest about it, you would have to describe it like that. But the thing that I think is different because of these moves is I think he's now giving himself a chance and, you know, he's giving himself a chance to be successful. And, you know, maybe he's not good enough, but I, I, I like that he's taking over the defense himself rather than having a revolving door of defensive coordinators, you know, putting his fate in his own hands. Very smart decision. If I were advising him myself, I would have advised him to do that. 
Um, you know, we watched Randy Shannon, who was a similar type of coach, getting his first head coaching job, a, you know, maybe a little bit more of an accomplished coordinator than Manny Diaz was coming into it. Um, but we saw Randy go through three defensive coordinators in four years as head coach. Uh, that's not the recipe for success. I don't think there's any doubt about it. So, um, yeah, so I, 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 I agree with you that there's really not much else he can do. He's already he's already replaced that thing nine at um what is it like eight out of uh 10 coaches or something since he got the head coaching job something like two-thirds of the staff he's replaced um so there's really not much more he can do in that regard and uh you know he's it's either going to be good enough or not good enough and at some point here you know blake james is going to be under the gun because blake james is going to have to make a decision on whether to give manny an extension and um, he's going to have to, you know, if he if he's going to have to stick his neck out yet again. And he stuck his neck out the first time to hire Manny. And um, it's going to be a tough decision. You know, a lot of I think will depend on how this next season goes. So, Matt, let's um, let's just take a quick minute here. I, I want to go through this um, our breakdown of of the rivals 250. We don't necessarily have to go through the entire thing, but I want to talk a little bit about the local kids in particular, because um, I noted earlier that this year is different than past years and that we can't sit here and look forward and say, Miami's going to dominate local recruiting this year, the way they did the last cycle. Um, you start with Julian Armella. He's number six ranked guy in rivals uh, the, in the 100 and a guy that you would consider Miami's got to get this guy. Okay, he's a five-star kid. He's going to school 15 minutes up the, up Miller Drive from campus. Um, I know his dad is a, is a, is a Florida State uh, legacy and all that, but uh, you know Miami's got to be all in on on Julian Armella. Uh, based on you know what what you've seen to this point, do, do you think that, that there's a chance there? I mean, I think the best chance is if he can't take any other visits, you know, that we've seen this just, it's like, you know, watching the movie over and over again and expecting a different result at the end or a different ending. I mean, like all these top kids, when they've been able to take visits, Miami more often than not doesn't get them. And, and last year, you know, James Williams, I'm not sure he winds up in Miami if he's able to take some of his visits to Georgia and wherever else, you know, like these schools gang up on Miami and that's just what they do. They, and there's so much, to negative recruit against Miami with right now, if you're Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, like these programs that have had so much success, even LSU. Um, and guess what? Those schools are all in the top seven. So, I mean, like, it's just almost too easy, um, you know, for, for some of these programs. And, um, you know, and it's his uncle, by the way, who, who was the offensive lineman at Florida State. But, like, it's not it, – it's not um, – it, it, like I, I, I consider him, you know, uh, somewhat of a long shot. I mean, yeah, he, he's at Columbus. Yeah, he's, he's buddies with Ryan Rodriguez, and he's from here and all this other stuff. But, like, until Miami starts getting these top offensive linemen, these top five-star kids, you know, James Williams notwithstanding, like, when they're doing consistently, then I'll be like, okay, you know, they should get him and they will get him. But, like, until that's happening consistently, it's just hard to say that kids like this are going to stay home right now. Yeah, so it, I mean, and that one's going to be interesting just because of Dad's connections to to uh, FSU, and a lot of people think that that's where he's going to end up. But um, the next guy I want to talk about is number thirty-six, Shamar Stewart. And to me, 
this guy is right there with Armella as the most important recruit in the class. He's uh, going to be a, a, another impact defensive end from South Florida. He's already 6'5", 260. Everybody in the country wants him. Right now, he's a four-star, has a great chance by the time football season rolls around and gets going to uh, develop into a five-star. Um, the Canes are, are, are in a fight with LSU here uh, from, from every uh, indication that we can get. And what he's going to do and opinions on what he's going to do kind of depends on who you talk to. Um, there's people that are close to him, uh, you know, over maybe at, at pace high and things like that, that will tell people that Shamar Stewart is leaning towards Miami, that he loves Miami, comes to school wearing Miami stuff, things like that. And then there's others that think that it's all a ruse that he's going to, end up going to LSU at the, at the end of the day. Um, your feeling on Shamar Stewart. Yeah. I mean, you know, everything that I heard from people close to the situation was that he was going to wind up at LSU. So, but again, you know, this is like a influx, like it's, it's recruiting, you know, and, and if he can't visit LSU again, the best thing for Miami with local kids is if they can't take visits at all before December. Right. I mean, they, mm-hmm. you, you saw the result of that in this last class and that would certainly impact Shamar. It could impact Armella. Um, you know, because again, you can't meet a single coach face to face at all. And I mean, is a kid really going to sign with a program that he hasn't seen the campus and been in the locker room and, you know, in, you know, sort of been around the team and been around the coaches, or is he going to go to the program where he's already visited 10 times unofficially as a kid, you know, <laughs> with his, uh, you know, with his high school team watching practice and his middle school team watching practices and being around the coaches, and, you know, whenever he wants to come out there, even if there's a camp going on, whatever. So, you know, that's a huge advantage for Miami if there's no visits. If Shamar can't, you know, go up to LSU a couple of times this fall, then, you know, I, I think that's a 50-50 battle. But, you know, everything I've been told is that people expect him to end up at LSU. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And, you know, the Canes were his um, – offered him all the way back in February of 2019, so they've been on him for a long time. But if you look at at his top five list, you know, with Miami and LSU maybe at the top and, and also Georgia, Alabama, and Clemson are the other three. So that gives you an idea of, you know, the daunting task that the Hurricanes are, are, are facing on this front. All right, then the next guy that I want to bring up here tonight is – Number 85, Wesley Basanta from uh, Miami Central High School, uh, a, a linebacker, and, and we know how bad Miami, you know, absolutely needs linebackers. But they gotta, they gotta have to deal with Alabama on that one too. You know, Alabama's right there in the middle of this one. Florida State is also a major player, and you know, Miami's gonna have its work cut out here in in recruiting this kid. Um, I'm, I'm sure, you know, the Ishmael hire is. Uh, going to have a, a lot of say in, in this recruitment. You can bet the ranch on that one. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt that he becomes the lead recruiter on Wesley now. And uh, so this is going to be a fun one to watch because you got the hot new hot recruiter coming into the program who is going to take responsibility for the, the, the hot linebacking prospect from the heart of the inner city of Miami, Miami central. And Miami's going to be all in on this one. How do you think they do Matt? Oh yeah. I mean, I like the chance with him a lot more than the other two. I, I, I think at the end of the day, he will wind up at Miami. Um, but again, you know, all these kids, like they, they're top kids. They want to weigh their options. And again, 
It all comes down to, I mean, we're doing the local kids. If they can take visits, all bets are off. If, if Wesley can't take visits, he's going to be a Miami Hurricane. I have very little doubt about that. So we just got to wait and, and see how this thing plays out. Okay, and then we got to talk about Earl Little. Okay, obviously a Miami legacy. He's the Miami version of Julian Armella. Okay, here's a defensive back. His dad played safety for the Hurricanes back in the day. Uh, every reason in the world that Earl Little should be a Miami Hurricane, and it, and it shouldn't even be a discussion. But you got Alabama, LSU, and Florida also pushing hard, and I'm sure Florida State will try to get in there too, but I don't really see them being a factor. Uh, so you got to hope that the fact that his dad played for the Hurricanes um, will maybe give, give Miami a shot here. DeMarcus Van Dyke will be all over this one, and uh, it's going to be another one that's going to be a good litmus test uh, for this new defensive staff in recruiting. Your thoughts um, on Earl Little? Yeah, I mean, LSU led early for him, and then Miami, I, I think, is became the leader, and I think still is the leader. Um, you know, at the end of the day, like, for Earl to play at his dad's school and, you know, his family can come see him play, like, that means a lot to these kids, you know? And um, and if they think they're good enough and they have the opportunity to play um, and they have, you know, a bond with those coaches, like, why wouldn't they stay? So, I mean, the key here is going to be um, DeMarcus Van Dyke. You know, I'm not sure that Earl <laughs> – and his father really were thrilled with the previous um, DB coaches. So I think that the change actually helps here. And I think that Miami was in good shape even before the change. So this makes them even better shape. I, I do think Earl, I'd be surprised if he goes anywhere but Miami. And if he goes anywhere but Miami, I mean, it would be an indictment of the staff, the defensive staff, which would be terrible. No doubt. And then the um... – the next guy I want to talk a little bit about tonight is Marvin Jones Jr. And now we go back to the opposite situation. His dad played at Florida State and, and, and was, you know, a legendary linebacker um, at Florida State. But, um, you know, th- there there is a little bit of a Miami angle here in, in that his uncle is Santana Moss and his mother ran track at UM. Um so there's going to be a little bit of a in in-house battle on this one between Miami and Florida State. Which way do you think it goes? Yeah, I mean, I've talked to Marvin. I've talked to his dad quite a bit. Um, you know, they're super nice, and they really want to just go through the process the right way. Like, this is one that I couldn't even guess on. Like, you know, the other guys, you can sort of get a sense just from talking to some people around them and even talking to them themselves sometimes. Like, is it a long shot? Is it a 50-50? Is Miami in good shape? Uh, with Marvin and his dad, they really want to go about the process the right way. Um, I honestly think that at this point, they're not leaning in any particular direction, Florida State or Miami. I, I do think those are probably the two main ones. But, you know, again, Alabama, you know, Florida, Georgia, I mean, you know, there's a bunch of schools that are trying to push here, and they really want to make the best decision for, for Marvin Jr.'s uh, future. And they haven't been able to do it because of just the shutdown and all this other stuff. So they haven't really even sort of got their heads wrapped around where he's maybe leaning or anything like that. Um, so, you know, it, it, this is one where it's, it's just tough. Like I, I know everybody wants to hear, Oh, my prediction is, you know, he's going to wind up here or, Oh, I feel there's a 70% chance he'll go there. But like this kid, like, I'm just going to tell you like what I know. And this kid, zero information on where he might wind up. So like, I couldn't even hazard a guess. It could be any, number of schools and not just Florida State or Miami. They, they're just trying to do their homework and find out what's best for him, and they want to take a bunch of visits. 
All right, and then the last one I want to talk about tonight is uh, Kenyatta Jackson from uh, Chaminade. And uh, he's a kid that Miami has been on for a while now. Um, you know, Todd Stroud started recruiting him, told him that he could be the next Greg Rousseau at Miami. And uh, he's obviously got a couple former teammates that are 2021 signees in Alan Hay and Thaddeus Franklin. So, you know, I, I can't imagine that hurts. Uh, the but here is who else is recruiting them. You know, you've got Clemson, you've got Ohio State, uh, and there'll be more. Uh, Kenyatta Jackson can go just about anywhere. Um, your thoughts on on, on this one? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you hate to say that a Shamanad kid's not going to go to Miami at this point since Miami's done so well there, but I just think Clemson or Ohio State might be the teams to beat here. You know, like it's it's going to be tough to get him, and it's really going to hinge a lot on if Jeff Simpson. Like, right now, I think Miami's probably number three on his list, but, you know, Jeff Simpson has a chance to, to say to the kid, listen, I coach in the NFL. Here's what I can do for you. You can stay home, you know, play with your buddies, play in front of your family, blah, 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 blah. And, and maybe that'll move Miami up. I mean, you know, everyone wants to make all these judgments. It's February. You know, they don't sign until December. Miami's yep. in it with all these kids. Every single kid in our front page story, all whatever I said it was, 26, I think it was, 26 kids in yep. that front page story, there's a chance in December that they get the majority of those 26 kids. Will they do that? I mean, probably not. But, like, it's February. And, and fans, like, want to know now who's going where. And that's just not sort of how these kids are operating in a COVID lockdown. You know, it's one thing if these kids already took, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten visits, um, you know, dating back to last summer and have been, you know, sort of building these relationships in, in person and over the phone, you know, both. Uh, that's not been the case. So you just see a lot, you know, I, I talk to these kids every day and I talk to families and parents and like, they're super frustrated. These, these families, they, the zooms don't replicate what you see with your own eyes and the feeling you get when you're around players on the team and able to look in somebody's eyes when they tell you you're going to start, you know, by your second year and you're going to, you know, we're going to turn you into an NFL draft pick, whatever it is. Um, so, you know, fans just have to be patient and let Miami coaches, um, you know, quote unquote, work their magic. And there are going to be times where it's going to look bad for kids, you know, for Miami to land them. And there's going to be times where it looks good for Miami to land them. And this is going to be a really interesting process because we haven't been through a full process like this. Like last year, the shutdown came in the spring. And, you know, Miami had already done a, a lot of its homework before then and had put out offers and things like that. And had been talking to these kids and got, a, a, you know, several of the kids on campus for January um, junior days and even for the four spring practice sessions. And this year... <laughs> have them now like who knows if any of these kids are gonna you know have been on campus within two years of signing wherever they wind up so like it's uncharted territory and kids may be flipping like crazy come november and and december especially if things start opening up at some point and all of a sudden there's just this flurry of visits everywhere you know miami could have 20 commits come october and all of a sudden the NCAA says okay visits are open now and now everyone's taking visits everywhere and that's going to be mayhem um, so it's just so difficult to predict what's going to happen with this cycle. And to me, this is like the calm before the storm. I mean, um, you know, kids are just trying to get their footing with their families to figure out even a top five, which is difficult for these kids. 
some of them are putting it off. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it soon, and then I'll, I'll do it in two months, you know? <laughs> like, they don't know. They don't know what to base their top fives or top tens on because they can't get on campus. They can't see coaches. Um, so it's, it's going to be crazy, in my opinion. I really think there's going to be a lot of flip-flopping if the NCAA is able to open things up after a lot of kids have already committed. Well, I think, um, you know, for the, for the purposes of this conversation, uh, that what the goal of showing everybody tonight is that this year is going to be different than last year. Uh, this is not a bunch of slam dunk South Florida kids that are, that are just going to jump in the boat and come to Miami. It's going to be battles across the board. You've got kids that a lot of people want at some point visits are going to probably open up and, and people are going to be able to go see other campuses this time around. And it's going to be, you know, the mother of all battles for the next, you know, 10 months. And um, it's going to be fun to cover and interesting to watch, uh, but it's going to be different than what we liked so much about the last cycle and, and came to enjoy. So um, anyway, Matt, thanks uh, so much for your insight tonight. Thanks for being part of the show. And uh, we'll continue to, to follow these situations as they move forward. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. All righty. Thanks, Matt. That's Matt Shodell, our managing editor at canesport.com. Um, going to get back to your calls now. 563-999-3550. 563-999-3550. Hit the number one on your keypad. If you'd like to come on the show, let's go out now to the 917. You are live on Canesport Live. How are you doing this evening? Hey, Gary. What's up? BK Hurricane. Hey, what's up, BK? How you doing this week? What's going on, man? Man, this is a great show, man. <laughs> we're trying, man. You got going on today. We're, it's we're a really trying. good show. Uh, yeah, so far. And it's gonna know, get and it's gonna get better. It's gonna get better. You want to know why? why? Because so, because soon we are gonna reach the moment, and it's gonna be uh, really a first in Kane Sport Live history that we are gonna pay homage to one of our own on this show. And we are uh, going to give our man Greg his props for that prediction that he made back around Christmas about the seismic changes that were about to be made by Manny Diaz on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, that's coming up here momentarily. But first, you've got to create an act to follow. So what do you got for us tonight? Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, um, wow, you know, like everybody had a lot of good points today especially about the transfer portal, right? Um, like, just based on the landscape of college football and how you see a lot of guys that 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 went to other schools, like, for example, like, we got the Jalen Phillips, we got the, uh, what, the Roche, and now we got this, this kid coming in from Tennessee. Like, they did their time at these other schools and somewhat named schools, so now they get a chance to come to Miami after they went through the recruiting process as, as an 18, 19 year old, they did their time here. And, and Miami seems to me is going to become like a destination school for a lot of these kids that, that didn't choose Miami early. And now they have a chance to come back to Miami and they see the results of what happens when you come back to Miami. Now, I don't know if that's a result of all the training and success they had, all the training, so to say, the um, the foundation they had at another school, and now they come to Miami, and the coaches at Miami bring that out of them, like a Jalen Phillips, probably first-round pick. Quincy Roche has a chance to make it into the first round, but he's more of a second-round pick. 
and that's coming from a guy that was, that was from Temple that was looking like fourth round, fifth round pick, and he elevated his draft status just by coming to a school like Miami. So I think in the future you will see Miami be more of a destination school, and I think Manny Diaz recognizes that, and that's why, you know, you may, like, uh, I don't remember who the caller was. Was it everything or it might have been Matt that said, you may only, see, I mean, you may see Miami take only 20 guys, 20 high school kids, and leave room for, for five transfers. Because mm-hmm. that's going to be the new landscape of, of, of college football now. Like, there's going to be so many good players available where you might not, you know, where you'd be more willing to take a chance on a guy that's proven than an 18-year-old kid that's finicky and he'll come to school, he misses his girlfriend or or whatever. You, you know, like, how do you feel about that? Like, do you think that's that might be the new wave and how things are looking in college football? I think it'll depend on how successful they are doing a better job of recruiting high school kids. You know, I, I think right now you got the transfer portal as a crutch to kind of try to cure – all the mistakes that are being made in recruiting. And, you know, if you look back for many, many years now, you're batting under 500 on these recruiting classes. You know, we all get excited. Every commitment, we trumpet, um, we wave pom-poms and banners on signing day and everything else. But the fact of the matter is that half of those classes or more have been, you know, have have not been working out you know kids are leaving you know for whatever reason um they're not making it they're they're not becoming impact players they're just roster fillers um there there have been a whole litany of issues in recruiting here for a long time and i think as we look forward the to the at, at the transfer portal i think a lot of it's going to depend on how well they do recruiting traditionally and if they do a good enough job and players are staying and making and making contributions to the program, then they're not going to have as many spots for the transfer portal. And then it'll become a one or two a year kind of thing. And this year, you you know, looks like you might only have three, maybe four if they add another one. Um, so it's being used a lot, uh, even less this year than it was. And that's probably because they feel like they did a pretty good job in recruiting this past year and brought in some better players. Uh, time will tell on that. But uh that's the best way I can answer that, BK. I think it's going to depend on on how well with this staff shakeup that they can recruit here over the next 12 to 24 months. Right. That's a, actually a great point, which leads into my next statement. Like, take Alabama, for example, right? They, they're they losing – I think they lost three or four linebackers to the portal, right? Mm-hmm. So you got this kid from Tennessee, the you know, the Polynesian kid, the 2-2 kid, the Henry 2-2 kid. Is he wants to go to Alabama, and Alabama is so stacked that they put him on hold until after the spring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is a five-star kid because they want to see how their other five stars look in spring practice before they make a commitment to this right. guy. Now that that is amazing recruitment, and 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 you know you're telling the kid that everybody wants, and he's got to wait. <laughs> well, that, and and until that's because of what I'm talking. You're you're right, and that's because of what I'm talking about. You know, when you do a good job in traditional recruiting and you've got good players on your practice field, then the transfer portal is not as appealing. You don't need the transfer portal because you're building your program properly and you're you're stacking talent on top of talent every single year. You're absolutely right. And and that might benefit us because if we could land this kid in the summertime, that would be awesome. (laughs) You know? 
if we could land a good linebacker and he'll only and he'll probably have two or three years left to play, which which is which might be a sound, you know, take for us, you know, a sound investment for us. To take a kid with like maybe two or three years left as opposed to a grad transfer and then we're back in the same position the following year. Yep, no doubt about it, PK. All right, last question. This is about basketball. I mean, how many bodies does Larinaga have left on this team now? What is it, like eight? Uh, like not, not, I don't even think eight. I, I mean, they're down to just the lineup at this point. I mean, what a disaster. You know, I feel so bad for them. You know, they came into this year feeling like that they had rebuilt this thing and that they could be a competitive team that might even sneak into the top three in the ACC this year. And uh, they felt like they had the players to do that. And then just one by one, just, it was just, everything started falling apart. Like their versatile big man, Sam Wardenberg gets hurt. Earl Timberlake gets hurt in the off season, a true freshman that needed that developmental time to get ready for college basketball. He didn't get it. And now then he had to come back after the season began and get thrown into the fray without the proper, um, training and 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 just you know development during the off season and he was overmatched. I mean, there's no question about it. He didn't look like a five star out there. And then on top of it, he had I think it was a shoulder problem or whatever. The, you know, we're sitting there watching like this kid's a five star. He can't shoot. Well, he could barely lift his arm. Um, right. So you know that was a problem. And then um, Cam Magusti, their best forward, gets hurt. And he misses several weeks, and that's a problem. And then Matt Cross, who was the second-best freshman recruit they had, a guy that was supposed to be an elite three-point shooter, well, he he, he becomes a head case, and Laranaga has to kick to the point where Laranaga has to kick him out of the program. And wow. it's just been one, it's been one thing after the other, you know, it's, it's a, you yeah. know, Harlan Beverly, the, the other point guard has been playing mm-hmm. hurt the entire year. He had to take himself out this past week. Wong was in and I out of the Wong. lineup. Yeah. And he's having, Chris you know, Black. he's having a great year, but he's probably trying to do way more than what he should. And the whole thing has just been one colossal mess. And when you put it on top of, losing two recruiting classes because of that FBI fiasco that they went through. Um, you have what you have, which is a bottom, a bottom tier ACC basketball program right now. But I don't think Jim Laranega's job is in jeopardy or anything like that. I think he will get a chance to come back next year, make it right. I think if they can get a fair number of these guys to do the same and come back next year with the team that they intended to have this year, plus a couple more, uh, young kids that they've recruited and maybe a transfer or two because the transfer market in basketball is going to be very active this year. Um, I think right. that they have a chance to recover from this next year. And that's what you have to look at. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Cause I feel real bad for Jim Laranaga. Like he, he, he seems like a good guy and yeah, I remember guy. in the Shane Larkin teams that he put together, like what? <laughs> Let's just hope. You know, let's just hope that the team recovers, you know, next year. And I'm just looking forward to, to the, you know, to the spring with football and and, and see how that, and see how that, you, you know, turns out. But listen, Gary, real quick, um, um, I think everybody's given up on, on the defensive ends, you know, real quick. You know, a little too soon because Greg Rousseau came out of nowhere mm-hmm. and became a pretty good player. And I think that was under Jeff Simpson, right? Or was that under uh, Stroud? Uh, it was, it, it, yeah. I mean, it started with Jess, no doubt. 
Right, um, and, and who's to say this, uh, you know, Chance Williams or any of these other, uh, uh, Jafari Harvey, can't be, you know, you know, uh, this year's Greg Rousseau for us. Yeah, they they can. We'll 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 you yeah. know we'll see we'll see who like, like we'll see. We'll see who makes All that right, move if 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 any of them do. All right, yeah. BK. Thank you as always for being part of the show. All right, guys, this edition of Kane Sport Live is brought to you in part by JFQ Lending with interest rates below 3% now. There has never been a better time to lock in a low fixed interest rate on your mortgage. You'll never need to think about refinancing again. Set it and forget it. And with JFQ Lending, you're guaranteed to get the highest level of customer service. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and over 3,000 five-star reviews. And we got a new guy in charge of taking care of Canes fans now. His name is Blake Johnson, and you can give him a call today at 480-463-2133. That's 480-463-2133. Or you can email Blake at bjohnson at jfqlending.com. That's bjohnson at jfqlending.com. Call him, email him, whatever you want to do, and tell Blake that you're at Kane Sport, and you want the best deal on your mortgage or refinance, and he will go to work for you and uh, try to put something together that will make you happy and save you some money along the way. So it's JFQ Lending, an equal access lender, licensed in over 40 states. His name is Blake Johnson. You reach him at 480-463-2133 or at bjohnson at jfqlending.com. And, um, uh, I think you'll be happy if you give him a call. I know a lot of guys who he saved money um, who have been uh, e- extremely pleased between him and uh, Kyler Koppelman. They have done a great job taking care of the Canes fan uh, who needs a little help with their mortgage. All right. So talked about this at the beginning of the show. And, you know, it, it, it's not often that we have a true soothsayer amongst us on Kane Sport Live. And, we were sitting here around Christmas time and kicking around just the, the end of another horrible season and trying to figure out what was going to happen. And um, it came to the time in the show that we all love when, when our man Greg came to the forefront here on Kane sport live and, you know, Greg's an opinionated guy and he, you know, he's, I've had the fortune of meeting him really good guy. And, you know, like like so many of us out here, you know, live, lives and breathes for Miami football and Miami sports. And uh, he made the following bold pronouncement. Go ahead. Okay. We played 11 games this year. Five times we gave up 34 or more points. Okay. Don't tell me nothing needs to be done, okay? And I, I'm telling you right now, big things are happening right as we speak. There's going to be ch- big changes made. I'm guaranteeing it, okay? okay? I know people, all right? Just remember I said that. I don't disagree okay, with I you. I think, there will be, I think there will be changes made. How good was that? I'm the best. I'm the best.
And tonight we honor him. He's the best man. Greg, welcome back to Kane Sport Live. Take your bow. Yeah, Gary, how you doing? Doing good, Greg. Um, okay. Uh, I just wanted to say that in, in addition to that, I told you well in advance of anyone else, the Eric King was coming back. And I said I mentioned Jess Simpson's name. And I also told you that Phillips and Roche were elite and they will become elite. They're going to be high draft picks in the NFL. Okay. I got more predictions, by the way, coming up in a minute. Um, I got to, can I ask you a question about basketball before I give my predictions? Sure. Okay. Have you ever seen a bigger bunch of bricklayers than we have playing for us this year? Is this the worst shooting team I've ever seen? <laughs> yeah, they, they've been. Sh- they are they, what kind yeah, of been, team are we going to have next year? Well, what, what, I, you know, where are these guys getting drafted in the army? They're not getting drafted. None of these schmoes. Yeah, well, I mean, the only player we got that's any good. That's yeah, Wong's Wong's been shooting. He's been shooting, all right. But like, if you if you bring Chris Likes into the equation, you know, he's a good shooter. I think it would have had a whole different look. Uh, you know, Harlan Beverly's been playing hurt. He's not a great shooter to begin with. But the fact that he can barely lift his arm, I you know, I think has has impacted it and made it even worse than it would normally be. Um, you know, the other guys are obviously very average shooters right now. And uh, yeah, it's, it's looked pretty ugly. I mean, you were hoping Matt cross was going to be a knockdown shooter and then that went up in smoke. So yeah, it's, it's a mess, Greg. It's a mess. But uh, I I think that if they can get the guys they want back back and maybe get a couple transfers and then supplement it with the freshmen they're getting, uh, hopefully get Timberlake healthy, that they can be a much better team next year. So we'll see. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to give my next prediction. Okay. All right. Then this is about recruiting. These five players have a 75 percent chance or better of, of signing with Miami. You ready? Yep. Write them down. Dante Anderson, Daniel okay. Lyons. Oh, little um, Jacoby Small, Small Smell, whatever his name is, from Heritage, and Mullen, the Mullen kid from Coconut Creek. Travel okay, Mullen. Those five, okay. What's your, what do you have to say about that? You think I'm uh, right or wrong? No, I don't, have, I don't have a problem with any, with any of those predictions at all. I mean, I, I think there's a great chance, but I'm more concerned with some other guys. And you can tell me if you got you know, predictions and we just went through them. I'm, you know, can they get Julian Armella? Can they get Shamar Stewart? You know, those are two massive guys. Um, I think they got, you know, Wesley Besaint from Miami Central. I've just looked at it. Yeah, okay, I'm not done yet. He, now, these two are prob- – what about uh, Cody Brown and um, Ja'Cory Brown? What do you think the chance of those two? 
Cody Brown, you know, we, we, we've been talking to him a little bit, and he initially told us that, you know, he was interested in Miami, but he, he seems to have cooled off a little bit on that front. So we're not so sure about him yet at this point. You know, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, and the other one I think you said was what, the Jacuri Brown? Yeah, the quarterback. The, the quarterback from Georgia. From Georgia? Uh, yeah, I mean, Rhett Lashley has been, been on him, and I, I know he's pushing really, really hard, and – you know, we'll have to see. I mean, I mean, I, I think you would have to consider Florida a little bit of a leader there, just because proximity and 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 that kind of thing. But uh, I, I know that Lashley is working that one very hard, so we'll see. Okay, I just want to say, I don't think Manny's a great coach, but he isn't stupid. He hired this new coach, the linebackers coach. Mm-hmm. He's gonna he's gonna bring in some flyers. Mm-hmm. That's why he hired them. And the last the last one I threw a seven on seven tournament about three weeks ago down in Hialeah. I saw more pimps down there than I saw in New York City on the street corners. It's unbelievable what goes on at these seven on seven. It, 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 it's. That's been the culture of seven on seven football for a while, Greg. I mean, that's, it is what. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. You know. Daddy, I got pay. All right. So. <laughs> Who the heck was that? Oh, I'm in the car with a couple of friends of mine. All right, I gotta go, but. All right, Greg. Just remember what I said about those got those. You recruits. got it, man. You 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 you've earned the right to make any prediction you want on this show. So we'll talk to you next time. All right, Gary, have a good one. Thank you. All right, Greg. Thank th- thanks for calling in. That's Greg, our resident uh, sage man. He uh, I I don't remember all the predictions he said he made, but if he really made all those predictions in advance, you gotta you get you gotta give him give the guy a, 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 the pro, the props he deserves. So. Um, he was smack on back at Christmas when he talked about the wide ranging moves that were going to be made. And uh, pretty much you'd have to say that they, they absolutely were. All right. Five, six, three, nine, 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 three, five, five, oh, five, six, three, nine, 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 three, five, five, oh, you hit the one on your keypad. If you want to come on the show uh, now we're going to the nine, seven, three, you're live on Kane sport live. Gary, Gary, Gary. What's up, Mr. Ross? Don't you wish you could prognosticate like Greg? I knew you was going to say that to me, Gary. What's going on with you, man? Man, I, I, I want to take I want to take that guy to Vegas, man. You know what, Gary? Yeah. Listen, listen, my man Greg is out on the town on a Tuesday night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's riding around. I, 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 I think he's from Pennsylvania, or so I, I'm trying to remember where. I think I think that's where he's from. No, no, he, no. He said he's down. In, it sounds like he's down in Florida because he said. Well, um, I know he comes down because I've seen him. I've seen him down here, and I met him down here. Yeah. I think he goes back and forth. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure what his hometown is. I don't remember. I don't but, think yeah. Philly is doing that. It's, it's a bunch of snow. It's snowy. It's, it's, it's snow everywhere in um, Philly, Jersey, and New York. So I don't think he's in. Philly doing that. It's not more like he's in Florida doing that. But anyway, he's out on the town enjoying himself. They calling him away. Say, get off that phone. Come back. Come back to this stuff. But anyway, um, listen. 
not my sole expertise, but I am in the field. So as far as SRT talking to you on the phone about basketball, but um, not a lot of people are going to be happy about what I'm saying right now, and, and I'm not trying to get at them. They, they run into some bad luck, Gary, but I think a lot of that too um, is escaping the fact what happened with the FBI thing. Um, they escape danger as far as being penalized, but it's almost like what happened to the football team where that cloud and um, it stayed and it, it kind of like ruined and rotten certain things. So the fact that you didn't get punished, but just the perception that was going on, not getting the kid little with the Carolina, um, couldn't get the kid carry. You had a moment, they had a momentum at the time where they was going to be able to bring in at least probably three or four kids that was top notch. And that went to the ba- to the sideline because that, 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 that whole thing that was going on. So while you didn't get penalized as far as being sanctioned, you got penalized by reception as I would look and just not be able to get that talent. And then things started falling apart. And, you know, usually when it rains, it pours. And that's kind of like what's going on with them, just to give you the valuation about that. Mm-hmm. You know I what I'm saying? What do you think about that? I agree. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's pouring for sure. It's been pouring yeah, for three years. That's my feel 100% when it comes to what I'm doing. But um, let's kick in the football a little bit, man. Hey, hey, what's, what I'm looking at, Gary, is – I know you, you called out the numbers as far as the number one player, then the number two players, this, and then the number four player was the punter. Um, listen, I'm not the biggest Manny guy either. I, I, I go in and out with him, honestly. It's hot and cold at times. But he's trying. Um, he's trying to make changes. He's going out there and getting guys that's not his friends. We got we to gotta, we gotta notice that. We got to see that, and we got to feel good about that. One thing I didn't hear you guys really talk about, and that's why sometimes I wish you would take a little bit more calls and stuff before you bring um, Sandell in, your, um, your expertise guy. But it, and sometimes I think you should have him take some calls also. But uh, here's my thing. I didn't hear you guys kind of, like, discuss this so much. Well, the linebacker coach that we hired and then we lost him to um, him being a decent coordinator, um, UCF, how much can you identify two or three kids that you just know that you just know the fact that he's gone, we just won't get because he was going to get those kids. Can you or, or, or Matt identify no. three kids that you know? No, because I, th- I, I, th- I think that, that you've got other recruiters on the staff to pick to pick up the ball. Okay. Okay. So, so and, no, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't – I don't, I mean, he wasn't here long enough. Okay. Because there's a kid, couple of kids that said it didn't matter if he, if he left and they're going to stick with us. But I wanted to see, was it a few kids that you guys just kind of know? And what I kind of no. liked about what he, was, what he was going to do, and I hope this new guy from Texas A&M could be able to do that too. While we need linebackers, and believe me, we do need linebackers, um, I also want guys to be able to go recruit some of these other positions. Even though it's not linebacker, just being a hell of a recruiter. We need, we need dogs. And, 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 and then – and Manny was, you know, I, listen, I'm listening to one of the interviews, right, Gary? And Manny actually said it without saying it. He kind of just said, listen, I'm a big um, rump guy. I, I respect him. He played here. I love him. But at the end of the day, I need a closer. And he literally said that. And I couldn't believe he actually said, I need a closer. And it was like, enough is enough. He's not a closer. You remember when he said that? Were you shocked? Yeah, he, he didn't say it in those words, but but it's it's obvious that he realizes t- that he's got to get better. 
in terms of recruiting. And it's not that DVD is going to necessarily be able to, to go do all kinds of crazy stuff, but, but he's a young guy that you could start grooming in that role and see what he can do. He's done a good job behind the scenes uh, in the recruiting office and helping with the local kids. Now you could turn DVD loose a little bit by making him a field coach. And he's, he's uh, immediately should be a better recruiter than, than Mike was. Um, and more so than anything, you're bringing T-Rob into the mix. And, you know, T-Rob can get it done as well as anybody out there in recruiting. So uh, they've made themselves much stronger. And then he goes and hires another young guy um, in Ishmael Aristide, who is, is, you know, getting his first on-field coaching job, but cut his teeth as a recruiter at Texas A&M. And everybody I spoke to out there tells me that this guy's the real deal in terms of a recruiter. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, you, you can only endorse the, you know, what so you're seeing right now. Yeah. And here's, and here's the thing also, um, here's the thing also, a lot of people are saying, well, why would we bother just go ahead and put rump? Like you said, we had more, we had another year on his contract and rump wouldn't be able to mess up that room. Cause don't forget, we got Pata. We still got the kid Pata. We still got that guy. I don't want to call him a kid. We still got Pata. And I got a couple of guys that's over there that kind of tell me that he's a well, well-respected guy, too. You know, they love him, you know, in, in, in that department. So it's not like we're leaving that department as recruiting and being organized in that recruiting department as far as corn, you know, um, it's, it's empty. It's not empty. Yeah, DVD left, but it's not empty because we still got Pata, and he, he, he kind of, like, going to take some of the um, – some of the responsibility. And then Rump will probably just be like an organized guy. I don't want to call him a guy that filed papers or anything like that, but he's just going to be a guy that show people around. Even Manny suggested to her, like, you know, if we, got, if, we, if we can't get guys on campus and we got people in family, he's just like that organized guy that's going to show people around. But hey, I want to kick into a couple other things, though, Gary. Um, uh, the linebacker. How good is that linebacker that um, that's transferring from um, Alabama? Is he Is he worth anything for us to look at? Uh, I don't know that they can that they that they have the scholarships to to go after kids like that. Uh, so I don't, you know, I mean, if a kid wanted to come in in the summer, they might be able to go into next year. But you know, right now it it looks like they're they're done for this cycle. But here's my thing: do you, you know not to name names? We're not going to call any names. I, I could I could do it. You don't have to do it. Um, it still should have been a couple of guys that's on the team that we should have just, you know, I know it's a, it's a virus time, but we should have just asked not to come back, man. It's, it's one of the situations that we can, we go, bro, we need your spot. You know, we need. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's not about that. Um, it's not about that Ross. It's a, it's, it's about initials. You know, you, you, you the, right now the rules are you can only have 25 initials in a cycle and, and we've gotten to 25 with the, with the three transfers that we took that got us, that got us to 25. Yeah, and it's funny because Manny made a, uh, a statement also. He says, we haven't, we still not have been packing 85, 85 guys that's being dressed. We still, we can't even get, we still can't even get to that number on game day. You know, even to practice. So that's, that's, that's terrible, you know. But, um, hey, who's the guy that goes up north and recruit? Is it, um, is it Pikey? It's Pikey, right? Patsy, uh, yeah. Patsy, yeah, Pat, yeah. Pat, Pat, yeah, Patsy will take some of those shots, yeah. Here's what I, here's what I know, Gary, and I'm just being very, very honest with you. Jeff Simpson I'm, I'm, will I'm, now. 
I think you'll see Justin yeah, like, Justin to do some I'm of actually, that. I'm actually in Florida now more than I'm not in Jersey. I'm in Florida now. But here's the thing. I got a lot of ties up there. I got no people in and out. I know recruits. I know all of them. Bergen Catholic, Don Bosco Prep, Hun, 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 all those top schools, all, all of them. And when he goes up there, he do a decent job. But we probably want to pay somebody else to come with him because he comes in and he blahs a blah, but he doesn't really get the job done. There's guys like we should be able to get we should be able to get offensive linemen from 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 up in Jersey and Pennsylvania. We should be able to get certain guys that we should we should get, and we're just not getting because he's not he's not a killer, he's not a dog, he's not a dog, and that's just what's being related to me. He's not a Ross, he's, Ross, he's not a dog. He's not he's not coming in. He's soft talking. He's not a dog. He's not coming in. Come get the get the kids. So I'm just I'm just letting you know, Gary, that he he probably needs somebody to go up there with him also because um, Manny just letting them go up there by himself. It's not getting done. It's not getting certain things done up there. He's not, you know. So that's I'm just giving you that information. But pretty much, um, I love the guys that we're bringing in. I'm not so big on the tip in Tennessee. I'm not sure what he could do, but I'm willing to give him a chance. And somebody uh, calling me a, a point It'll earlier. Be a depth filler. We should, yeah, we shouldn't give up on the defensive ends, guys, that we got because we don't really know what we got. You know, we don't that's really know the way I feel. I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't really. I wasn't thrilled about using that spot on uh, DeAndre Johnson. For that, for the, for that one, yeah. because I, I, I mean, look, we we've recruited these other guys, and they need to be good enough. It's like, and you you know, I just felt like that spot could have been put to a little better use. Yeah, but, I think we should, hey, hey don't, look out for Cole too, man. Look at from the kid from Candom. Look out for him. He's he 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 shoots. He 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 flashes, and and, mm-hmm. and people are not really talking about him, but he do flash. One more, James Williams, I think. We're going to go ahead and let him put him on the system, let him get on his weights, let him see what he's doing. And he might grow into that linebacker position. It's the only that out for him not being a linebacker, and, and, and I think we should try to do that because we need talent. We need talent at that spot. Guys, we've getting certain guys two years. They're not getting it done like the Sneeds and all these other guys. They're not getting it done. Let, get that spot up to somebody else. But watch out for Cove. I don't want to be Greg. I'm not being Greg, but watch out for <laughs> Cove, man. Hey, I appreciate your time. Yo, D Black was good, and um, I'm out, man. Keep me on hold. Appreciate you. All right, Ross. Thanks for being part of the show tonight, man. All right, 563-999-3550, 563-999-3550. Hit the one on your keypad if you'd like to come on the show. Um, the board is relatively wide open, so if you want to get on the show tonight, um, now's a good time to hit that one on your keyboard and and uh, get yourself in the queue. Uh, you, you know, it's an off-season show. We're probably not going to, you know, certainly go to the usual three hours tonight. So uh, now's the time to make your move. Let's go to the 305. You're live on Kane Sport Live. Hey Gary, how are you this evening? Hey, what's up, Adam? How's everything? Welcome back. Good. First, a huge shout out to Coach Demari going up to Gainesville and winning two of three. Yeah, great. They, they did a great go, job. Baseball. Yeah. Uh, and that dovetails into one of my other questions. I noticed that now more and more, a lot of these rival kids are dual sport athletes. There was this kid out of Ole Miss, who I think like Tyron Malone or something, who was a highly regarded baseball prospect. Is that something now that uh, Coach Diaz can play on kids? Say, listen, if you come here, you'll also have the opportunity to play top-notch baseball. Because I know back in the late 80s, Mo Crum did it, but I don't know of any Miami players who have done it since then. 
I mean, I think Miami's always had that reputation in baseball going back decades, Adam. I don't, I don't think that that would be anything new. Uh, I don't know of any recruits right now that, you know, would fall into this category, you know, that are two sport uh, kids that, that were the baseball success might play into their recruitment. Um, but Miami baseball ha- has really always had that kind of status. Okay. Well, I know Miami baseball has been good since long under Ron Frazier, but I was just wondering, like the last football baseball player I really know was David Thompson, and he switched over to baseball full-time and is now playing for the Mets. So I was just wondering if that was another recruiting tool that Manny could use. I think it's hard to play. It's, you know, with the commitment that goes into football now, it's really hard to play both sports. I think that's why you don't see many guys do it. Uh, Okay. Um, also, uh, speaking of recruiting, uh, where are we with R.J. Maryland? Because I know that's like an Earl Little. He's, uh, his dad obviously was Russell Maryland or is Russell Maryland, who's another Miami legend. Are we in play for him or not really? Right now, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure that he's going to make the cut. I think it'll depend okay. on what else on what else happens. I, I, you know, I don't know you know, that, that he how is, is an absolute priority at this point. Okay, I didn't know how high. And also, um, with Telly Lockett moving on to Marshall, um, has Miami made any hires a la Bob Shoup on the offensive side to get, like, an experienced former coordinator or former highly regarded coach on the analyst side on the offensive side of the ball? To help out Manny there and Rhett um, and all them. Not at this point, no. Do you expect that to happen though, or not? No, really? I think they're. I think they're. They're in pretty good shape on the offensive side of the ball. I think that the staff is is is, is in a decent place. I don't. I don't. I. I haven't heard that they're looking to add to it or anything right now. Uh, okay. Um. And on the offensive side of the ball, do you see uh, Charleston Rambo sliding into opposite Mike Harley and one hundred percent Wiggins? So he's uh, yeah, going to be the starting one. Yep. I think Rambo and Harley will be two of the starters, and I think you got, you'll have ten other guys competing to, to, for playing time to, you know, to be the other guy. Okay. And on the defensive side, you'll see Stevenson. And, like, who do you see being opposite Stevenson? Would it be Blades or would it be DJ Ivy? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, my instinct would be Blades. Well, you know, we'll have to see how he comes back. Um, you know, I think Blades is a little bit better than Ivy. Ivy had a really tough time last year. Um, yeah. But, you know, now they got DVD coaching him. Maybe he can get, get a little bit more out of Ivy. But if I had to make a bet right now, I would say Blades. Okay. But Stevenson definitely is going to be penciled in as the left corner, I think. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. he, he, he will be the best. He, he will walk in and should be the best defensive back on the team the minute he he steps out there. Okay. And has there been any movement on getting like another quarterback, at least in the room because like another experienced quarterback, because after King, you're looking at uh, a true freshman and a redshirt freshman, really, or is now the time to see what you have with Van Dyke and Garcia and battling into 2022 when King yeah, is I, no longer at my 
And you've got Matosha still there also. I mean, yeah, I think Jake Garcia is that guy. I think when you when you were able to get him and now you can inject him and, you know, you've got three quarterbacks and I think they have every uh, – well, four with Matosha and you have every expectation uh, that the Eric King is going to make it back right now. Um, you know, okay. I would – I would think that they're probably going to settle with those four for this year. Okay. And then you don't see them. And obviously it's hard to project a year out. You, you don't see them dipping in the transfer portal for a QB for 2022. Do you? Uh, no telling right now. I think it'll, you know, everything will depend on who they get and, and how okay. these guys and how these guys, um, who they get in traditional recruiting and also how these guys develop over the next year on the practice field and maybe in games. Okay. Well, thanks for taking my call, Gary. Have a great rest of the show. All right, Adam. Thanks for being part of it. All right. Let me attack a couple of these questions um, right now that were submitted on the message board at canesport.com. Again, if you want to get on the show tonight, it's 563-999-3550-563-999-3550. Okay. Was there a buyout for coach T will uh, when he went to UCF, I don't think there was. I mean, usually the, the position coaches don't have buyouts. So it would typically just be coordinators uh, who might have those in, in their contracts. So, no, I don't believe that UCF had to pay to steal T-Will away from us and make him a coordinator. I think uh, that was just a smooth move for, for him. How likely is it that we have a new basketball coach next year. The injuries are piling up, but the team has declined almost every year since the Shane Larkin days. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about that tonight. I, I don't think there's a very good chance of it at all. I don't I don't see Jim Laranega retiring. I don't see Blake James scapegoating him and and firing him at at this point. Um, just doesn't you know? I mean, it, it, there have been way too many things outside of Jim's control to blame him for these consecutive um, losing seasons. Uh, you know, you lost two recruiting classes because of the uh, FBI investigation. And then now you, you know, you, you had to deal with all these injuries this year. So I would say highly unlikely that any, that we will have a new basketball coach next year. I expect Jim Laranega to get a shot to come back and make it right in 2020, 2020, 2021, 2022. So we'll, um, we'll when will the Eric King be back and over the injury? Um, the way that they rehab these ACLs these days, they, they get very aggressive with it. And, um, you know, I'm told the guys can come back as quick as five months. And uh, I think that's a little tight. Uh, I think six is a little more realistic. That would get him back just before the opening of fall camp in August. And, um, that will be the, the, the true test is what, will he be out there on day one when they open training camp? And, um, I know they believe he will be, and there have been no setbacks that we've heard of to suggest that he won't. So, uh, we'll see how that one goes, but, uh, that's, that's the prediction I would make there on Derek King, that, that he will be fine to play against Alabama, uh, barring any kind of re-injury or anything like that. Um, is there any talk on if the guys behind King can actually throw a football? Um, yeah, this is an interesting question. Is the quarterback position just dead if King is not healthy with Nikosi transferring? Um, 
look, I think they like Tyler Van Dyke. I think they like Jake Garcia as a prospect. Um, I, I think if we sit here and, and harbor illusions that either one of those kids are going to be ready next year to walk out and lead the Hurricanes into contention in the ACC, um, I would say that's probably a pipe dream. Uh, I think that the hope is that King can come back, that you can get these other guys a little bit of playing time during the year so that they go into the next spring uh, position to compete with each other and you don't have to go get a transfer to be your quarterback the following year. Um, how good are they? We don't know. I, I, you know, it, 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 Usually we would be able to give you a better opinion on that, but with COVID this year, we didn't get a chance to watch Tyler Van Dyke in practice. And so all we have to go by is what they say about him. And, and I haven't heard anybody say anything negative about him. I think they believe he's going to be a good quarterback, but uh, we can't tell you that with any kind of definitive opinion because we haven't had a chance to actually watch him out there and, and see how he, how he's throwing and, and, and gauge his accuracy and his intangibles and things like that. So that's going to have to be tabled a little bit. We're going to have to just see how it goes see if they feel comfortable putting them in games this year. And uh, maybe we'll see a little bit that will allow us to have an opinion. And now you got Jake Garcia coming in as a kid coming out of high school, who's going to be injected into competition. And we don't know who's going to emerge in that regard either. You know, who's better Jake or Van Dyke. And uh, that'll be one of those kind of subplots that we'll be following here over the next year. And uh, that'll be like the others fun to watch. Out of the top 25 kids in the state of Florida for each class in the last four years, a total of 100 kids, Miami has only been able to sign 16 of them. Is this the real problem we have at Miami? This has to get better if we are ever going to get back. Um, 100% agree. Uh, you, know, you know I've been beating the drum on this for several years, that the talent evaluation wasn't good enough, that the recruiting wasn't good enough. It had to get better. And... Um, I think you're seeing Manny Diaz making moves and recognizing the same things that we're saying and, and what um, the posters saying in this in, in bringing up this topic. And uh, yes, uh, Miami is not going to be Miami again until it starts getting more of the elite difference making players. And uh, we went through some of the ones in this next cycle tonight that I'm, I'm sure Manny is hoping that his new ace recruiting staff can make a difference with. And We'll be able to talk about this a lot over the next year and going forward. See, can they make a difference? Can they get in on some of those top kids that we talked about uh, this evening? So, yeah, it, it's the real problem. No question about it. And I think you see Manny Diaz trying to address it with his coaching hires this offseason. All right, um, 563-999-3550, 563-999-3550. You hit the one on your keypad if you want to come on the show. If you're listening and you want to get on tonight, now's the time. Um, let's go right this moment to the 386. You're live on Kane Sport Live. How are you doing tonight? Hey, Gary, how we doing? Doing great. Who's this? All right, it's Will. Hey, I want to uh, go through a couple of things real quick. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I get the impression that you feel like Mario Cristobal is an upper echelon coach. Let me give you my opinion of Mario Cristobal, and I want to hear your opinion. Like I said, correct me if I'm wrong. Number one, 
I don't think he's no better than what we already have. Number two, when I look at Mario at all uh, Oregon, I don't get the I don't get the feeling that he's on the verge of doing something great at Oregon. So if you feel like that he would be a good coach for Miami, I would like to know why. Because all like right. I say, I don't think he's no better than what we already have. All right, so let's start at the beginning with this. And and, and man, this is a hot button on on canesport.com. All right. So I don't compare Mario Cristobal and Manny Diaz. Okay. Um, I don't, I, I have never compared those two. I, I don't think it's fair to compare those two and here's why. Okay. Manny has been a defensive coordinator for 20 years. Okay. He, he's had a, he's had a good, good career in football. He's risen to be the head coach of Miami has never really won anything. Never been on a staff that won anything was fired at Texas in the best job he had um, at, the, at that point in his career, um, is not known for re- recruiting, is, you know, has not been a guy that anybody pointed to as being an elite recruiter or anything like along those lines through his career. Um, he got to the point where he is right now because of relationships that he was able to build with, with Blake James, probably some political influence that his dad had as the longtime mayor of Miami, all fair game. Well, I mean, we're all parents. We all do the best that we can do for our kids and we would fight tooth and nail. Um, if we were in a position to, 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 you know, help our, help our kid get this kind of break. Um, but you know, so I, I, I think, you know, I felt at the time when that job came open that, it was in Manny's best interest to, he had the opportunity to become a head coach at Temple. I thought it was in his best interest to go to Temple and learn how to be a head coach and to do that apprenticeship because it is absolutely an apprenticeship. It is an unavoidable curve that you have to go through. And most 95% of the guys that try to do it, can't do it at any level Uh, to try to do it at Miami to me is almost impossible. And I thought it was in his best interest to go to Temple and 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 take that job and and for this job to be opened up and see who the candidates were and I thought that Mario Cristobal should have been one of those candidates and here's why. Okay, you have a guy that has worked under um, guys that I think are superb head coaches. Um, he got his apprenticeship under Greg Schiano at Rutgers. Uh, learned really learned what the just the relentless nature of attacking this job under Shiano, who was that kind of guy. I don't know if he's still that way at this point of his career, but he, he certainly was at that point. Um, and so he, I, th- I thought he learned a lot under Shiano. Then he came here to Miami uh, and very quickly got the opportunity to be the head coach at FIU. Now, goes to FIU takes over a program there that was literally no place. There was, there was no talent. They were on probation. They didn't have any facilities whatsoever. He, their weight room was literally a broom closet. And this is the God honest truth. Cause I remember seeing it. It was a, it was a broom closet in the student union. That was their weight room. I mean, they had absolutely nothing in that program. And he, over a couple years, turned it around, was able to go recruit a guy like uh, T.Y. Hilton, 
to come be, uh, you know, a game-changing, uh, impactful talent in his program, and was able to build around that and put a good. And and the the thing that really impressed me about his time at FIU was the coaches that he was able to go out and hire and bring to FIU. And a lot of them have gone on um, to be head coaches. You know, guys like Scott Satterfield at Louisville um, is a head coach now. I'm trying to think of the, uh, the other one. A bunch of other ones have gone on to be really good coordinators and coaches. Uh, James Coley, Todd Orlando, who's now at USC, one of the top defensive coordinators in college football. He was able – the thing that impressed me the most – was his ability to identify young coaches who were going to have great coaching careers and, 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 and go on to, to be very successful. That was another thing that really always impressed me about Mario. Um, his recruiting skills are undeniable. He was, he was a great recruiter to FIU. Like I, I mentioned, T.Y. Hilton, there were, there were others. Um, he was able to build a program from no place to one that could win a, a conference championship that could go play division one teams and not be embarrassed. And, you know, it, 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 it was, a, it was, it was a tough job. He, he was able to get facilities built there. They built a football complex on his watch. Um, so a lot of really, really, really good things went on at FIU. The, the, the bad thing that happened at FIU was the was Pete Garcia and Mario um, kind of weren't getting along. Uh, I, I, I think that there were issues in terms of um, who was taking the credit for what was going on there. And, you know, as an ambitious young coach, you know, obviously, you know, Mario probably didn't want anybody taking bows for him when he's sitting there working 20 hours a day to build that program and, and put it on the map and, and was successful doing so and got it to a bowl game and, and those kind of things and won the conference. And I think that those two ended up going off in different directions. And when they had a bad year where things kind of fell apart a little bit and didn't go well, um, Pete seized the moment and, and fired Mario. And that kind of put Mario back to square one. So he comes to Miami for about a month, um, helps the recruiting effort in that in that year as much as he could in that short time. And the guy in America who can hire anybody he wants and, you know, it's been proven is a, a great springboard to, to, to phenomenal things in coaching calls him on the phone. Nick Saban calls him on the phone and says, I want you to come be my offensive line coach. And um, it was, you couldn't say no to that. Like it came with, I think, like a $500,000 raise. You were getting to go work under Nick Saban. You were getting to go to Alabama and learn how Nick Saban does things to be the most successful coach in the, in the history of college football right, at this point. And you, you absolutely can't say no to that. And so, like, did it rub some people here wrong? Absolutely it did. But – to me, that's a childish way of looking at it, okay? Here's a guy that's a Miami player who has an opportunity. He's, he's, he's on a staff that's, in, that's floundering, and yes, he maybe could have made it better, um, but he has the opportunity to go work for the best coach in the history of college football and learn how to run a program to that level. There's no chance you say no to that, okay? And, like, it wasn't even a decision, 
at that point. So he takes the job at Alabama. Now let's talk about what he did at Alabama. He establishes himself as one of the elite recruiters in the country. He wins National Recruiter of the Year in his second year there. It is, he wins. He's also named the top offensive line coach in the country. He puts together, through his recruiting and his coaching, an elite offensive line at Bama. In the meantime, he's learning everything from Saban, uh, and he's developing the skills that he needs to move on in his career and become a head coach again. All right. So then he decides that if I go out west, I can very quickly establish myself and get a head coaching job out out west. And um, he absolutely did that. He goes to Oregon, and within one year, he impressed the athletic director, who's watching from a distance, enough to where when Willie Taggart goes to Florida State, the athletic director sticks his neck out and gives Mario the job. And, you know, Oregon could have could have gone in a lot of different directions with that job. But this athletic director saw in Mario, you know, what anybody would see, a guy that has work ethic that's unquestioned. I mean, he lives and dies for his job. He, he puts, you know, literally 18, 19, 20 hours a day into it, hardly ever sleeps, is willing to make the sacrifices, recruits as hard as anybody in America – and they now have had three straight elite recruiting classes at Oregon, the best recruiting classes under Mario they have ever had in the history of Oregon football. Um, they they won the conference and, and, and won the Rose Bowl in 2019. In 2020, they were breaking in a young quarterback who now since has gone into the transfer portal and is now going to Texas Tech because Mario's recruited three guys that are better than him in the time since he got the quarterback job. But they had quarterback problems last year. The kid, the kid cost them a game or two. Um, they had, they, they had um, another game where uh, they had a couple fumbles that, that hurt them. But stuff happened in 2020, and they lost a few games that they shouldn't have lost. Yet they still got the chance to go play for the conference title. And in that game against USC, they got it done and they won their back-to-back conference title. So we could say, oh, they didn't deserve it. They backed into it, whatever. How many times have teams won the Coastal with two or three losses and gone to the ACC championship game and gotten an opportunity to win the conference? So it happens in almost every conference in college football. There's going to there's sometimes teams that lose a couple games. They get to play for conference championships. They don't usually win them. Oregon put together a game plan and went up over there and played a game, with even with the quarterback problems that they were having, and they beat USC and got to go to the Fiesta Bowl. Um, so they and then they got caught by Iowa State in the Fiesta Bowl. They just weren't you know weren't good enough, and they so they they lost three games this year. Very disappointing year, no doubt about it. But in the meantime, the recruiting that's going on there is absolutely off the charts elite. It, they, they've, they've recruited three straight recruiting classes of the best that Oregon's ever have. And the thing that really impressed me the most about this year is not just they finished number three in the country, right next to Alabama and Ohio State, and I think they were even they were above Clemson in the rankings this year. The thing that really blew my mind was that Mario went out and recruited the, the best player, the top-ranked player in nine different states. Okay, now, 
You tell me, okay, so he's got connections throughout the state of Florida with all the coaches from his time recruiting Florida for FIU and Alabama, and knows all the high school coaches, Has is wired throughout the South Florida community. Now, you tell me that if you have an opportunity to hire a guy that can recruit South Florida as good as anybody, he's proven it, and can go out and recruit the top player in nine different states in a year where there's COVID-19 and kids from out of state can't even visit the school officially. And the coaches on your staff can't even go out to recruit those kids. And you recruit them so well that you, can, you get the, the best player from nine different states to come play at Oregon, which only is in the middle of freaking nowhere in the Pacific Northwest. Okay, to me, that's the damn resume that Miami football needs. To me, Mario Cristobal could be the next Butch Davis for Miami football. And, and when I say that, I'm not diminishing Manny Diaz. I'm not comparing Mario to Manny Diaz. You ask me a question right now, I'm answering you. This is why my opinion about Mario has been what it was. It's based on performance. It's based on observation. It's based on a skill set that I have seen with my own eyes that I think is exactly what this program needs to get back to being what Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson are right now in college football. And that's my opinion. And I'm not, I don't have that opinion to slight Manny. You know, I don't have any issues with Manny. I think Manny's trying as hard as he humanly can to be successful in this job. But I think everybody would agree that we have now gone through a two-plus-year two apprenticeship you know, to, to now try to see if in year three we can do a little bit better and get to Charlotte. I mean, you know, yeah. we're, we're not on a rocket ship. So I, I hope that answered your, your question. Um, yeah. I, 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 I don't compare the two, okay? I do not compare them. I don't think it's fair to compare them. Uh, you know, I think you, you know, I think if you listen to what I just said, you understand why. And I'm not looking to do that to, 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 to Manny and, and, and try to put him in a, in a head-to-head resume comparison it, like like that, um, and I think that Manny is trying as hard as he can to get this right here, and I think he's doing a lot of really good things. And and the the question is going to be, is he good enough? And we're going to find out. You know, I mean, I think he's got better coaches now than he's had the whole time he's been here. So you know, we'll see. I respect how you feel, but a lot of people feel like Miami has has has, has elevated their staff on the defensive side, which uh. I think Jess Simpson was a great hire, but I'm not sure that they've done that. I mean, you got three guys, two of which have never been position coaches on the field, and then you got uh, the striker coach moving to the inside line, the coach the inside linebackers. So, I mean, it's like you just throwing something out there and hope that it works. I mean, it seems like Manny is basing things on how on bringing in guys that are great recruiters, but what about developing guys and getting guys to play at a high level? I mean, they've always brought in talent. Look at all these. I mean, they, they whole roster is full of four- and five-star guys, but they're not being developed. They can't get them to play at a high level. But my second question was, there's been some debate about how many early enrollees came in. Do you know how many it was and who they may have been? Yeah, I don't have. Uh, let me see if I could find that real quick for you. I don't. I don't have it in front of me, but I might be able to find it pretty quick. Um, 
but um, it wasn't as many as we're supposed to. You know, there were there were a few kids that um, that didn't make it, but I, I think you know the the, the greater majority of the, of the class here. Let me see. I've got it right here. I'll, I'll be able to give it to you. All right. So here's here's who's enrolled. Okay, Elijah Arroyo, Andres Borregales, Thomas Davis, Jake Garcia, Cam Kinchins, Michael McLaughlin, Chase Smith, and Deshaun Trotman. Okay, and then the transfers, DeAndre Johnson, Charleston Rambo, and uh, and Tyreek Stevenson. Those are the guys that are in right now. So you feel like Miami staff on the decent on the defensive side of the ball has been upgraded. I think it's been upgraded from a recruiting standpoint. Um, I listen. I mean, like at the at the end of the day, to me, the defense is going to be the same defense. I mean, I, I never. I've said this over and over again. This was not Blake Baker's defense. Blake Baker was running Manny's defense with Manny, um, but. I think that Manny is doing the right thing by taking over himself because he's at a critical point here. I mean, let's be honest. He's going into year three. I think he would get at least four, but he's got to turn this thing really quick. He's got to get to Charlotte. He's got to stop getting, I mean, he hasn't beaten anybody. Like he he doesn't have a signature victory. I mean, we don't be, we play anybody that can walk and chew gum and, and, you know, we're not, we're not competitive in those games. I mean, you saw what happened when we played Clemson in North Carolina this year. And North Carolina, you know, isn't at Clemson's level for sure. Um, when we play average teams like NC State and Oklahoma State, we're life and death. The games can go either way. Uh, so, you know, the program's not where it needs to be to compete for championships. And this is a critical time. And, you know, if he's going to get two or three more years to get it done, he's got to get better players. So, I think that's why he went out and got himself recruiters um, by going and getting Bob Shoup as an analyst. I think that helps him a lot because Bob Shoup can work with Manny side by side and they can, they can be very active with the linebackers and that gives him the luxury of going out and, 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 and hiring um, Ishmael um, to, focus on recruiting while he's learning how to be an on-field coach. I mean, he helped out a little bit with, with the DBs at Texas A&M, but he, you know, certainly has never coached linebackers. So, you know, but I, I like what Manny's done here because the, the roster does need to get better and they do need to recruit better players. And um, he's giving himself a chance to do that by bringing in, um, you know, Ishmael and then also T-Rob. So, I, I have nothing. I, I have nothing but positive things to say about Manny and what he's doing right now. I think he's giving himself the best chance he can to be successful. You know, he's got a good offensive coordinator in Lashley. They've got a lot of weapons on that side of the ball coming back. They fortified it with Rambo. Um, hopefully, now you've got offensive linemen that are going into the you know that have played a lot of football. Um, you're, you know, you got to hope that you can get a respectable performance up front. On the O-line, you still, even though you lost Brevin Jordan, you still got Will Mallory at, at tight end, and, and this Arroyo kid looks like he could be pretty good. Uh, you've got 12 receivers to compete, <laughs> you know, see if any of them can step up. Uh, so you you got to like what you're seeing on the offensive side of the ball. I think they're a little light talent-wise on defense, 
Um, but Manny's taking it over himself to try to see if he can make a difference. He's putting his fate into his own hands, and I have no problem with that at all. I thought it was a great idea. I like the moves he made in the offseason. I think he's attacking the problems that they have in the program, and he can go lay it all out there and, and have no regrets. If he can't turn this program around and they got to go get somebody else, um, I think he can leave knowing that he gave it his best shot. Okay, let me get one last question in. I promise I'll be done. The, no, you're fine. The other thing that, the other thing that um, I've been hearing about Miami, the perception is, is that um, Miami would never have a head coach that's making six, seven million a year. Their assist, their their coaching staff, as far as the assistance, is not going to be amongst the highest paid in the country. But at the same time, I'm hearing that they have some of the wealthiest boosters in the country, guys on the board of trustees are some of the wealthiest guys. So if that is true, why is that? Why why, why won't they go uh, pay a coach six or seven million a year? Boy, that's a great question. All right. So the first thing I would say is, that I don't think they've ever had a coach that commanded six or seven million a year. Uh, you know, I mean, in today's market, I think if you take the Butch Davis results and what he built here, that maybe he would command a six million dollar salary today if he were the head coach. Um, you know, Mark Rick didn't. He had just been fired at Georgia, but he commanded four million, which was more than any Miami head coach that had been paid to that point. Um, I mean, who who would command? Who who could Miami hire that would command that type of number? I mean, I just uh, you know, so I don't think it's an issue. Number one, if they had to get the money to do it, there's, you're 100% correct. There is tons of money in the in the board of trustees. Like those guys, if they want, if they needed to donate a million bucks a year for the next five years, there's a whole lineup of guys on that board of trustees that can more than afford to do it. Okay, that doesn't mean that's what they choose to do with their money. You know, um, you know, the, one, of the, one of the lead guys on the board of trustees is a guy named Stuart Miller. He donates his money to the med school. They've built, um, you know, multiple buildings, the, you know, the Lenar Center next to campus. The, the, there's a Lenar building down, uh, downtown that they, that they, they, they funded. Um, they've given an enormous amount of money to the university, but it's been towards medicine. Um, you know, until the indoor practice facility was built, uh, the Sofer family gave most of their money on the medical side and donated in, in that regard. Um, so there's a lot of money going to some good causes. I mean, I don't think we, any of us can make an argument that as, as much as we love sports and athletics and football and all that, that that's more important than curing cancer, you know, and, and, and stuff like that. So, um, I think that if they had it, if, if they were in a situation where they had to go get it, that they could do it. Like, and I think back to when Kirby Hocutt was here and he went and quietly was raising money to make his run at John Gruden to be the head coach. And uh, he had to raise money to do that. And from what I knew at the time, he was able to raise the money to do that. Um, so I think when they really, really, really got to have it, that they can go raise it. Uh, I think just most of the money goes to the university and the med school. I mean, Donna Shalala raised a billion dollars all for 
the med school and they bought a hospital and and you know it, so the priorities of the university in that regard i think are more medically inclined than football inclined but they also have never had a coach that would command that kind of money either all right uh gary i appreciate you taking my question uh great program do it more often and we'll talk to you next go around all right man thank you for being part of the show as always all right guys that's going to be it for tonight um pretty good show for an off for an off season week um a lot of really good discussion uh those of you that, that uh, only heard part of it uh we'll have the podcast up momentarily and uh Next show, I think, will be during spring ball. We'll uh, we'll come back and we'll you know discuss what's going on on the practice field, how the team is going about uh, getting better out there. Uh, I don't know that there's going to be a spring game this year or anything. Uh, we'll have to see how that goes, but it'll be an interesting time nonetheless with all these new coaches and so much going on in the program. So uh, once again, thank you for listening. Uh, thanks to Greg for coming on and, and taking his vows. Until next time, I'll say <clears throat> good night, everybody.